from Canada because of over-trapping. But the beaver, who will always be associated with Canada's early days, has been reintroduced into many areas and it's made a successful comeback. The beaver builds dams because he has to store CITR in water deep enough not to freeze. With all the woodcutting that the beaver has to do, it's fortunate that his incisor teeth never stop growing. Hey! Let's talk about food and music, eating and grooving, munching and moving, forking and spooning, listening to tunes, yeah, dinner's on soon, and to get ready for, ready for, peanut butter and jams. You're listening to Peanut Butter and Jams with hosts Brenda and Jordy on CITR 101.9. Exploring local music and local food. Tune in to learn about the best eats and tunes from your neighborhood. And a weekly pairing for your date calendar. Warning, the endorsements and criticism expressed during the show are the opinions of the hosts, unless clearly identified as advertising. Put in your earbuds and fire up your taste buds. It's peanut butter and jams.
Hello, Brenda. Hello, Jordy. Hello, audience. Hello. They, you're not. Well, I guess you're my I'm audience. I'm just vocalizing. You're just vocalizing it for <laughs> for the whole audience. Exactly. We want you to feel a part of the show. Uh, you're listening to Peanut Butter and Jams, and uh, I am Jordy, and Brenda is here, and we've got a great show for you today. If you like mushrooms, or um, do you like music. mushrooms? I like mushrooms. Mushrooms are great. Hmm. All sorts of mushrooms. I I actually don't love mushrooms that much. No, no. I didn't when I was a kid because I didn't like the texture. It was slimy. Mm-hmm. I found that when I was a kid, I was really um, put off by bad texture foods. Mm-hmm. But now I now I really love mushrooms. I love the taste of them. They're kind of like a meaty, not meat. A meaty not meat. Do you, do you know what I mean? I like think we need to put that on our Facebook page. <laughs> mushrooms are meaty not meat. Yeah, yeah, I hear ya. They've got that savory flavor to them. They like feel like they they like it feels like you're eating something that's got like a meatiness, proteiness to it. I don't know if they're that. They're I don't think they're actually that high in protein, but they have a meaty fe- mouth feel mm-hmm. to them and flavor to them. I think the the mushrooms that I had that I enjoyed the very most were really small mm-hmm. and really skinny. And then had the most amazing flavor. So they were kind of chewy. They didn't have that kind of spongy. Do you know what kind of mushroom you're talking about? I don't. I'll need to find out. Mm. Maybe I can find out by the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Because there are some skinny types of mushrooms that are quite tasty. Quite tasty. Uh, So we're actually going to have a mushroom expert. Yeah. Someone who grew up in the world of mushrooms and now dedicated his life to studying mushroom research plant life and other things like mushrooms Mm -hmm. um his name is andrew wiley he's doing his phd at sfu and he'll be joining us about halfway through the show yeah so um so stay tuned if you want to hear about that we've also got a lot of music planned at this show Mm -hmm. and um and jordy did some culinary experiments on the weekend yes yes making his own condiments from scratch Mm -hmm. so we're going to talk a bit about Wooster sauce. Do you pronounce it Wooster? I also pronounce it Worcestershire. Yeah, I think the real British way is Wooster. Um, if you're British, um, call please in call in and, and solve, solve this disagreement, and we will. Uh, yes, we will be happy to talk to you. And my my main argument would be that if they if it's supposed to be pronounced Wooster, why would they spell it Worcestershire? This is not an argument you can make. If people say Wooster, they just say Wooster. It's just the way just it is. Spell it Wooster then. W O O S T E R. Well, we Wooster. all know that the British don't spell things correctly. That spelling is is not an accurate thing for pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Do but we, uh, do we want to put some music on and then we can come back and maybe maybe chat? Oh, we didn't even tell people what we we're listening to. You're right. Um, we listened to the Pack's new album. That was actually really good and very different from what the Pack. You're a big Pack fan. You're a much bigger Pack fan than I am. I like the Pack. The Pack AD. That is. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they have a very distinctive kind of garage, garage, bluesy. Yeah, like a garage blues rock sound. Yeah. That, but um, which is pretty great considering they're a twosome, two females. Yeah. And they managed to get that like really dirty, gritty gritty sound they, they feel really loud just for the two of them too i mm-hmm. i thought that song which is which is off their new album do not engage and it's called airborne was actually uh interesting because it was so different from their it was such a big departure from their usual sound of and a lot a lot of the rest of the album 
that we listen to is that kind of like i can't do the voice but this one's a bit more poppy but that one was a lot more poppy and i thought that was it was interesting that they were going to break the mold a little bit i don't know that's why i like that one but Mm -hmm. yeah so the next track we're going to play is by hallow moon and they're playing the discorder magazine fundraiser next week friday january 31st at the astoria so um that's when we're launching our new format to the magazine so it's going to be very exciting, and the new copies will be there at the table, at the venue. Uh, but one of the bands that's playing is Hallow Moon, and we're going to play the song Single Life.
Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the main street area at... Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, RX Comics, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, The Rumpus Room, The Wallflower Modern Diner, and Woo Vintage Clothing. Wow, it sure does pay to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus. Go online to www.citr.ca. Keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me. For sure, that's what friends are for.
And we're back. Yeah, what were we just listening to? That was nice. I liked it a lot. It was Cult Babies off the Cult Baby EP, and this track was called Wait. And they are also playing the Discorder fundraiser. Look at us. Shameless. Yeah, well, yeah, well this is a CITR radio show. We promote CITR stuff. Mm-hmm. We like CITR stuff. We do, and we like bands that we think are good and offer to play shows for us when asked. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. Cult Babies. Um, so tell us about what you did this weekend, Jordy. Oh, this meek weekend I made Worc- Worc- Worcestershire sauce, or <laughs> how no British people called in. So we're going to call it this. Yeah, Wikipedia says Worcestershire. Worcestershire? Worcestershire. All right, we'll talk about Worcestershire sauce then. Perfect. Uh, I made Worcestershire sauce uh, for... Uh, we were making pulled pork and we needed barbecue sauce for it and the barbecue sauce we were making we wanted to make the barbecue sauce at home and the barbecue sauce we were making needed oh worcestershire sauce <laughs> in it so i decided to make the, uh, i decided to make the worcestershire sauce in it as well because i had this book that um we got from we got for christmas about how to make your a lot of commonly found store bought items in from scratch and so I and I had most of the ingredients for it, so I decided to give it a shot, and it was really, really easy. Hmm. And and it tastes good. It tastes so. Like what it. goes into Worcestershire sauce? A lot of things. Molasses is one of the main ingredients. Anchovies, uh, fish sauce, tamarind paste. So, did you have all those things at home? We actually had everything except wow. for molasses because that would be pretty funny because you're like oh i need to make some at home because i i don't have any in my cupboard but then you need all these random ingredients well we had most of them already like it was like powdered ginger um i i can't remember like all the ingredients but we had all but like one or two of them mm-hmm. and uh, because you're a foodie that's probably have these things at home probably a, l- a large part of it i don't think that everyone has tamarind paste and anchovies and molasses in their cupboards. I don't. I don't have any of them. Yeah. Yep. But or powdered ginger. Oh no, it's just like ginger spice, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. ginger powdered I've ginger. Got that. Yeah, you've got that. You you do Christmas baking. I do. But um <clears throat> Uh, but I so I decided to make that and it was it, it was uh, it, the process is incredibly e- easy and Doing that, I got kind of excited about making other things. And now I'm going to start making other things. I'm going to start making my own mustard. Because that also looks like it's really easy as long as you have a blender. And and I'm going to start making my own ketchup. Um, but I'm going to wait for the current mustard and ketchup in our fridge to run out before mm-hmm. I make those. And ketchup you might want to do in season. Do you think you would need to use failed tomatoes? I'm not sure. Um I do have a recipe, and I think it just went from canned tomatoes, hmm. but it might be better if you do it from f- fresh field tomatoes. You're going to put Heinz out of business. Well, in in my in house. In your house, yeah. Not that we buy Heinz anyways, because it's more expensive, mm-hmm. and ketchup all tastes the same, so I just get the no-name ketchup. <laughs> so there probably aren't too many ingredients in ketchup, are there? I don't think so. I think Vinegar, it's sugar? Vinegar, sugar, tomatoes. tomato pretty basic yeah and like a mustard is super simple too it's just vinegar mustard seeds different mustard seeds mm-hmm. it's not maybe a little bit of water it's not okay. it's not a lot so how did your uh, 
How did your Worcestershire sauce turn out? Um, it worked really well in the barbecue sauce, and it mm-hmm. worked well um, when I poured some on my finger to taste it. It tasted correct. So, okay. Nice. Yeah, I would, I would recommend um, if you're looking for food projects, when you run out of condiments, see if you can make them yourself. Mm-hmm. I also made a tangy mayo nice. a, couple, a couple weekends ago. That would make good Christmas presents. You're making your own condiments? Yeah, maybe. Or like birthday if, presents. If you're good at canning, too. I'm, I'm not, but... I I'm, I do like making things, and if maybe mm-hmm. someone else canned it for me. Yeah, well, but like something like ketchup, you keep in your fridge. That's true, and, it and keeps you a really use long randomly. Time. So, assuming that the ingredients are what keeps it, and not any random preservatives you put inside, then you wouldn't need to can it. Yeah, that's true. Um, maybe we've got a, an idea for our next fun drive. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Then we could be like salt. What's that tasting room where you get little pickles and little meats and oh, salt, yes, weird they little do. They do mustards? That. I didn't know they made them all themselves, but yeah, I'm assuming the mustards and the pastes and I thought that, for some reason I thought they just bought them. Really? But yeah, you're probably you're probably right because otherwise, yeah, otherwise it wouldn't be special. So you can be mm-hmm. special that easily. Yeah, being special is easy. Yeah, I know. Impressing others with your mustard. Um, so should we play some songs? Yeah, or let's, let's play some songs. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to have a, like a harder, harder set coming up. Uh, we're going to play War Baby. They are also playing the Discorder fundraiser, but they, um, they were also the winners of Shindig this year in fall. So we're very excited about that. So here's War Baby.
DOA. It's called the prisoner. What do what do you think about? format of Discorder. Discorder. Join us at the Astoria on Friday, January 31st, as that magazine from CITR celebrates the launch of a brand new redesign with some great local bands including Cult Babies, Cat Low, War Baby, Hallow Moon, and more. Admission is $5 before 10 p.m., so be sure to get there early to check out our new 72-page art mag, cool prizes, and more. And that was, uh, we played DOA. Uh, welcome to Chinatown DOA Live, and the track was Prisoner. And we're actually sponsoring a uh, record release show at the Rickshaw Theater on February 7th. So, yeah, if you want to see these um, Vancouver punk heroes, uh, you can go see them at the Rickshaw. Yeah, yeah, check it out. And uh, they'll probably play some of the stuff from live at the Rickshaw. Yeah, they probably will. It'll probably sound very similar. <clears throat> so we have a guest on the line. Seth, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, thanks. Um, so this is our friend and sometimes correspondent, Seth Getsky. <laughs> that, that's him. <clears throat> and, 
And uh, we're bringing you on because this is a uh, mushroom, mushroom-related episode, and you've done some mushroom picking. I have done mushroom picking. Uh, how did you get into mushroom picking? Well, I'd wanted to do it for years and years and years, but um, I'm not really smart enough to do it on my own because you can die if you don't have the right, if you don't have the right, uh, I don't know, if you don't know how Guide. to read a guidebook, yeah. right? And uh, so I wanted someone who knew what they were doing to take me picking. And so I asked Duncan, I finally asked the right person, which is Duncan of Duncan Duncan's Donuts fame, if he knew anybody, and he did. He knew a guy named Jonathan Woods, who's an amateur mycologist, and Duncan made the arrangements, and we went to Squamish to pick mushrooms in the fall. And we picked uh, winter chanterelles, chanterelles, and matsutakis were, were what was growing, growing at that point. The lobster mushrooms were still around, but they were all rotten. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, those were the the mushrooms that we got at that point. Okay, so what did you learn? What did I learn? Um, that I would probably have to do quite a bit more studying to be able to pick them safely on my own. And uh, Were there moments when you would like point at a mushroom and be like, is that one of them? And they'd be like, no, that's a poison mushroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. You have to... There are some mushrooms that you can't even tell the difference unless you get a spore print. And like, I just don't want to mess with that. So, I mean, it's... A whole lot of fun like it's like an easter egg hunt for adults uh, because there's so many mushrooms in bc and they're so beautiful and fun to go out and try to find them um, but without even with a book like I, I would not create it interpreting the book safely so even with a book i would, I would still want a guide mm -hmm. um brenda was saying that you took them you took some of the some of the mushrooms that you picked and uh, brought them to a restaurant yeah, it was Brenda's birthday. Uh, do you guys remember Ping's? What was it on 11th and, and Main Street? Yeah, it's where um, Burdock and Company is now. Okay, yeah. It was yeah. Ping's when I lived at Main and 12th. And uh, it was a fantastic sort of Japanese restaurant. And um, I was not confident with my cooking ability because these are some like highly prized mushrooms. And I didn't want to waste uh, what at some time, not anymore, like the Matsutakis or pine mushrooms, at, they used to be worth almost like $100 a mushroom. They're not that expensive anymore, but I didn't want to screw it up by cooking it myself. Mm -hmm. So we took it. I took it to them uh, along with some of the chanterelles and the winter chanterelles and asked them to cook cook them for us. So we got, um, they made like a fish dish and some like agadashi tofu with the, um, with the pine mushrooms. And it was, it was pretty delicious. Were they pretty amenable to that? I've never gone into a restaurant and said, "Hey, I have this. Can you cook it for me?" Um, oh yeah, they're they're like they're huge mushroom fans. They were pretty excited when I asked them to do that. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I mean, and it was a pretty classy joint, right? So mm -hmm. you know, someone ask. I think most restaurants would be okay with that because they're like, this someone is bringing us food to cook for them. They're going to pay us to cook their food. So I don't see how it would be a problem in a lot of. I mean, I don't know. That's the only time I've ever done that. Mm -hmm. And one of the dishes, the mushrooms were cooked, weren't they cooked Japanese style in foil? Yeah, with fish. Yeah, she had like um, steamed them in foil with fish. Ooh, cool. Mm -hmm. And then poured a sauce over it after they opened up the foil. It was, it was delicious. It was delicious. So I was saying earlier that that was my mushroom turning point, that previously I... I 
was not an enjoyer of mushrooms, but those mushrooms were so tasty yeah. that now I am open to the fact that sometimes mushrooms are really tasty. Oh, you didn't like mushrooms before that? Not not really. So oh, what what convinced you to go and eat them if you're like, mm, I guess I'll try this to be polite? Or Well, it was a special thing. Mm. They were picked from the forest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like mushrooms, but I'm not like over the top about them. What I really like is picking them like that you know if you're gonna pick something yourself that really makes it special right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like and ca- then, catching a fish or yeah 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 you know, picking some berries or something yeah exactly Hmm. okay well, well uh thanks so much for uh, having this brief little uh jump along on our show cheers and i'll, I'll come back for the donut uh episode sometime Oh, a donut that episode. Happens. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah, Seth would like to review every donut in town. I'm if... a donut connoisseur in Vancouver, so okay, okay. I'll be back we... for that. I know, uh, I know someone who works at uh, Cartems, so maybe, maybe they could, you could spar with them about donuts. Yeah, well, I know the, I know the owner, or I have met him, and he gives me free donuts when I go in there. Um, I, so I would like no, you're, to you're this big I would donut rate them fan. the best donut place in town. Okay, excellent. Well, yeah. that's that's just a preview. Wait until yeah. Wait until he does the whole list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You re- may remember Seth from the Papusa episode. <laughs> and have you done any others with us yet? Um, maybe. I feel like you did I one. did. I can't remember what though. Mm-hmm. Um, that's okay. We'll we'll hash it out while um while you guys listen to some music. We'll work out what what that other episode was. Yeah. All so right. Seth and our other listeners, we will be actually talking with a mushroom expert next in just a few minutes who will tell us about poisonous mushrooms and other things that Seth has alluded to tonight. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Okay. So now we're going to listen to a track by Catlow and the track is called Remorse Code by the, on the album Pinkly Things.
Hello. Hello, and welcome to our guest, An and Andrew. Sorry, we've got a guest, Andrew Wiley. Um, welcome here, Andrew. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. No problems. Can you tell us a bit about your research and the work that you do around mushrooms? Uh, sure, I can. Um, so I'm doing a PhD at Simon Fraser University, and I'm not studying mushrooms in particular. I'm studying plant pathology, uh, so we study fungus, mm -hmm. and uh, mushrooms are produced by, by fungi. So that's my association. Um, I used to study mushrooms. I studied morel mushrooms in Guelph uh, during my undergrad. J just morels? Uh, just morels, yeah. That was what my undergraduate research project was on. Um, but I came by the mushroom thing pretty honestly um, because my parents uh, decided to become uh, mushroom producers in Ontario uh, several years ago. So he, um, he clearly loves mushrooms. He's even wearing a tie with mushrooms on them. Uh, that's right, mushroom tie. I think uh, these kinds of visual aids are really important on, <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> uh, so what age were you when your parents started growing mushrooms? Uh, I think they started it as a hobby when I was uh, in my early teens. Um, and then they gave up their professional work in Toronto and moved uh, up to the Wyarton area and um, started doing it full time. Do you grow your own mushrooms at all? Uh, I don't. No? No. I don't have the space. Your, your closet isn't full of <laughs> mushrooms? Your it's secret not. closet with white light? How much That'd space nice. do you need? Um, actually, um, you don't need that much uh, space. Um, you can do it in your apartment really easily. Um, my parents produce kits for people to grow mushrooms inside their homes. Um, so you don't need a huge amount of space. But um, compared to buying them in the store, right. uh, you don't get a huge amount of yields off, off the uh, hobby kits. So. Mm -hmm. so I don't do it. I like growing plants, but I haven't grown any mushrooms myself lately mm -hmm. okay so um let's take a step back here and come back to the farm um can you tell us what mushrooms are um so mushrooms are a macroscopic sexual organ of a much larger uh fungal organism so the mushroom is not an organism itself it's just a structure that uh, a fungus produces in order to disseminate its spores so if you see a mushroom, it means that there's a really, really large uh, fungal organism underground growing as uh, microscopic cells uh, that can be associated with trees or grasses um, and uh, acquiring nutrients from a huge amount of soil. So that's why uh, mushrooms can come up really quickly uh, because they have this huge mass of cytoplasm that they can draw from and quickly produce a mushroom fruiting body just to get the spores out uh, in a hurry. So um, just... just uh just to maybe uh, go, go back to that, so would it be fair to say that a mushroom is to like that organism as like an apple is to an apple tree? Yeah, that's yeah, pretty close okay. for sure. Yeah. And this sort of network underground or in plants, it's a bunch of sort of loosely netted? Or how are these, how are these cells connected underground? Uh, that's right. So um, fungi generally grow as uh, filamentous cells uh, called hyphae. And then you get a huge mycelial network called a mycelium. Uh, and that's the body of the of the mushroom organism. Called when you say huge, how big are we talking? Um, some of them can get really, really big. Uh, some of them can even be many hundreds of hectares. Um, oh, wow, that's so gigantic. There was a brief moment in the sun for uh, mycologists when we had the biggest organism on Earth. Uh, it was an armillaria species, and um, that's the honey mushroom. Uh, and it was growing throughout this really big forest, uh, and it, was, it's, it parasitizes trees. And... Um, so researchers went and collected samples from many parts of uh, what they thought was this big organism, mm -hmm. and they found that, indeed, it was this huge clonal organism. Uh, it was called the humongous fungus. 
<laughs> Where was that? Uh, I think it was in the Blue Mountains. Okay. Uh, in the U.S. Um, unfortunately for mycologists, since then, uh, I guess botanists found out about this and they didn't like the idea of mycologists, people who study fun- fungi, um, having the biggest organism in the world. Uh, so they found, <laughs> I think, an aspen forest. That's a clonal <clears throat> forest where all the trees are, oh. are clones of each other. And so they, they consider that one big organism. Mm-hmm. So um, that Some forest is bigger than the human. They just redefined what, what they call an organism to, <laughs> to, to beat you guys. <laughs> Um, you, uh, you teach about mushrooms as well? Um, yeah. So, uh, as part of my, uh, PhD, I, I give a, um, a lecture on mushrooms at Simon Fraser to, um, we have a split algae fungi course, Mm -hmm. um, that's taught by my PhD supervisor, Zmir Punja. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I talk about mushrooms because, uh, I have this long history of, uh, knowing about and studying mushrooms. So mm-hmm. I come in and give a guest lecture on that. Um, wh- when you're, um, these like large mushroom organisms, how many of them are edible? Like, it, I, it's obviously not all of them. Like, is there, it, uh, like how many mushroom species are there that? Um, so there, what's the risk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the risk is low, uh, numbers wise, but, um, if you eat a poisonous mushroom, it can be really, really bad. Uh, so that's how they get bad press. Um, most mushrooms are not poisonous, um, which is not to say that you should go out and start trying to eat as many mushrooms as possible to find out if they're poisonous, because some of them, um, the really poisonous ones, can cause uh, extensive organ damage, um, and so they can be really bad. But there are there are plenty of uh, edible mushrooms that you can find in the forest. And the humongous fungus is an example of that. You can eat the honey mushroom. So you, you could go to that. <coughs> you could go to that forest and eat some of the biggest organism in the world. That's right. You could. Yeah. <laughs> How big are honey mushrooms? Like, uh, would the largest organism of honey mushroom have the massive honey mushroom? It actually doesn't have just millions huge mushrooms. Of small. Um, it produces uh, bunches of mushrooms that are um, maybe. 15 centimeters tall and maybe like the cluster would be maybe 30 centimeters across that'd be like just a general like uh, clump of honey mushrooms what you'd Mm -hmm. find Um, but then of course there are mushrooms that are much larger than that so um, there's a mushroom called Strafaria reglusa annulata that produces mushrooms which can be um, maybe a third of a meter tall almost and do you know the non-latin name of that uh, I think they're called the wine cap Strafaria Okay. Yeah. Um, and they're an edible one. Uh, and uh, you can produce those from kits as well. And they, you can grow those in just a small garden plot. So you'd only need a, a garden plot, maybe like three, three feet by 10 feet or so um, of and they wood get, chips. You can actually make a sort Right. Of and those meter. mushrooms get humongous. So wow. um, the size of the organism is not necessarily correlated to the, the size of the mushroom. Because okay. those, those ones only have, they only need a small patch and they can produce these just ginormous mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Wow. What what species um, around are common in the in our region? In the um, so we're lucky there are just scads and scads of mushrooms uh, around here. I would say the most common edible ones um, that people go out to collect are probably chanterelles, um, and we have a lot of winter chanterelles um, mm-hmm. and fewer of the choice edible uh, golden chanterelles. Um, but those ones those ones are quite common and they're they're quite easy to identify compared to most mushrooms mm-hmm. um, because they don't have gills. Uh, they just have folds of hymenium underneath the cap, which kind of looks like gills. But um, if you look at it closely, you can tell the difference. And 
within the chanterelles, uh, there are no poisonous chanterelles. Oh, okay. But they are easily confused with um, other mushrooms, which are poisonous. Okay. Um, and there's there's a famous story of, I can't remember his name, but the author of the book that the movie The Horse Whisperer was based on. <laughs> uh, that's a stretch. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm making the leaps uh, from there. He confused uh, a mushroom called Cortinarius with chanterelles, and uh, he ate it along with his wife, and they both got... Um, they both got very sick because um, that one is, is quite poisonous. Okay. And that one, instead of um, chanterelles, which don't have gills, it has um, a web-like uh, structure underneath the cap, which stretches to the stem. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the name Cortinarius comes from. Um, and so it, it kind of looks like it might have the trumpet shape of a chanterelle, um, but there are quite a few poisonous Cortinarius mushrooms. So mm. that mistake has been made. Um, there's also other ones like the woolly pine spike and the jack-o'-lantern mushroom, which get confused with chanterelles. Um, but if you if you were to look at a chanterelle mm-hmm. side by side with one of these lookalikes, you could easily tell the difference. The problem is if you're looking in a book and there's only one picture, right? You might not be able to tell the difference. So that's why it's really important if you want to get into uh, picking wild mushrooms, um, you should seek out a mycological society where you can go out on mushroom walks and. Uh, experts will show you side by side many different examples of a certain mushroom because do, mushrooms do, look really different. Uh, do you from, do you recommend any in in Vancouver? Uh, so there is only one in Vancouver. It's the Vancouver Mycological Society. Okay, um, and I can give you the uh, URL if you want to put it on your website. Yeah, yeah, we can do mm-hmm. that. Um, or on the island, the South Vancouver Island Mycological Society uh, is the one there. Mm-hmm. And I know Toronto has a strong one called the Mycological so- uh, Society of Toronto as well. Okay. So those are the big ones. I think there's one in Edmonton as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually uh, any fairly large uh, city will have a mycological society. Cool. Um, why don't we go to some music, and then when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about mushrooms. Great. So we're going to play a track by Alden Penner. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Alden Penner. I went to high school with Alden. Um, he's uh, he, uh, he since moved to... Uh, to Montreal, but he uh, came from our neck of the woods. Uh, the general listening public might know him as one of the members of the Unicorns um, before they broke up as a band. Um, but this is his solo work that he's doing. Now, I think this is probably the second release he's put out that I'm aware of since the Unicorns split up, but definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of this song. And the song is called Beauty of the Lamb, off the album Procession. The beauty of 
back you are listening to peanut butter and jams on citr 101.9 fm and uh we have uh a very uh, we have a very mushroom spe- uh mushroom experty guest on right now andrew Say hello. <laughs> hello and uh brenda is still here with us still too. here and uh if you didn't catch it i'm jordy um so we were talking about mushrooms before that so- uh song we were mostly talking about mushroom picking but now uh we we're going to talk a little bit about um, you, Andrew, you, your family, you come from a long line of mushroom, <laughs> mushroom, <laughs> Very mushroomers. Short line. What are you called? Mycologists? A new, a new line of, uh, of mushroom people. Yeah. Yeah. Both your parents are mushroom people. Um, yeah. So my mom's, uh, maintains a law library practice in Toronto, but, um, she also, uh, spends a lot of time in our mushroom lab. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents mostly produce spawn for mushroom growers. They don't actually grow a huge amount of mushrooms uh, themselves, but they do produce quite a lot of mushrooms, um, especially for quality control of the spawn that they produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and also these kits um, that I was talking about where people can grow mushrooms in their house. Right. Um, so are the mushrooms mostly for people wanting to grow or for other restaurants that buy them too? Who are the main customers? Um, both. Okay. Yeah, no. both mushrooms and, and people who are just cooking them in the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that uh, specialty mushrooms were kind of more within the purview of, uh, of say, like Asian fusion restaurants. Um, and But now they're they're getting pretty mainstream. I mean, you see shiitake mushrooms all over the place, whereas 15 years ago they were relatively uncommon in, in Western cuisine. Mm-hmm. And um, you were saying that your parents grow, all, like, most types of mushrooms, but they don't grow the most common type of mushroom. Right. 
So the, the most common kind of mushroom, the pizza mushroom that everyone's uh, familiar with, uh, that's uh, agaricus. And that one is a uh, soil-dwelling uh, secondary decomposing mushroom. And so uh, the process for producing that mushroom uh, is very particular to that, um, that biological niche where it breaks down organic material in the soil that's already been broken down by other things. So mm-hmm. in order to produce those mushrooms, um, you have to take uh, your substrate, uh, which is like a straw mixture, and you mix it with manure and things. Uh, you put it through two different phases of composting, uh, and then... Um, there's a bunch of chambers that you have to use to get all the conditions exactly right uh, to produce those mushrooms. Um, almost all of the other gourmet mushrooms are wood saprophytes. They just break down wood. Um, so, so you they grow just them grow out of trees, or right. tree stumps, or yeah. logs, yeah. or whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They break down wood in the forest. That's their natural role. Um, so they're on a totally different um, a totally different line. As a result of that, the equipment that you need to grow agaricus mushrooms is, is totally different from that that you'd need to grow um, the, the wood mushrooms. So um, you can grow the wood mushrooms on logs by drilling holes into the logs to introduce the organism, mm-hmm. or you can grow them on uh, on sawdust mixtures uh, so they have wood to break down in the sawdust. Um, so that's why I, uh, my father, when he originally started the mushroom farm, said that um, he didn't want to have any uh, any poo, basically. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> There's a little bit of a smell to it that you yeah. maybe don't want to work with every day. Yeah, or so that's right. Yeah, went down the the wood path. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, how did you end up? How did your parents end up choosing to do this? Um, so it started as a hobby, uh, and then I think that the timing was kind of right, where um, the kind of gourmet uh, Asian mushrooms were becoming more popular, and uh, so there was the a market for um, for these opening up. So that's why they decided to do that. Well, it sounds like um, well, like isn't it like they're they're the generally the more valuable type of mushroom too are the are the wood ones that are a little bit like more less common than the ones that you would find in the in your grocery store for 269 a pound yeah that's right Um, (laughs) the agaricus are definitely the least expensive and then the um the cultivated gourmet mushrooms like shiitake um oyster mushrooms which are um most of the gourmet mushrooms are of asian origin Mm -hmm. uh the the oyster mushrooms pleurotus uh they're actually from europe and they were grown as a sustenance food um, cause they'll grow on everything like cardboard and, um, they're used to clean up oil spills. Uh, they really delete anything. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. But so I guess the spectrum kind of goes from agaricus mushrooms through the, uh, cultivated gourmet mushrooms to, uh, mushrooms that aren't able to be cultivated. So mushrooms that are collected from the wild, like chanterelles, mm-hmm. um, and then like uh, truffles are the most expensive mushrooms. Why are they unable to be cultivated? Like what is it that prevents those sorts of conditions from being replicated replicated yeah yeah so um work is ongoing in that area because these are the most expensive mushrooms so it'd be great if we could cultivate them um so there has been some success in growing things like morels uh and um truffles not in culture but in orchards that are specifically uh are are grown and um inoculated with the with the truffle mycelium Mm -hmm. um but for, still, for the layman, the mycelium is like spore, or um, it's just the um, it's like taking a piece of the fungal phallus, like the mycelium from under that would be growing under the ground. Right. Um, that's just grown uh, in sterile conditions. Right. Until there's a lot of it, and then you you would, if in the case of truffles, you'd sprinkle that onto the ground around a tree and hope that it starts to form a relationship with the tree. And so that's why some of these mushrooms are so difficult to uh, to grow. Um, 
some of them might just need conditions that we we haven't um, we don't have enough detail about what they actually need to grow. Um, but some of them form these mycorrhizal associations with trees, and so they need um, a tree as a partner in order to mm-hmm. have enough carbohydrates to grow and then to uh, fruit into um, into a mushroom. Okay, so that's I guess that that's the secret to why truffles are so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, they're also, they're difficult to uh, collect as well. So mm-hmm. you need to have truffle sniffing dogs in order to find them. Or pigs. The, you can use pigs, but the uh, compound that truffles produce that attracts the pig is, um, it's a compound that pigs produce to show that they're in heat, I think, or it's, it's a sexual compound for the pigs. So the pigs get understandably really excited when they find a, a truffle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can destroy the truffle in the process because oh. they, they just get really get in there. Um, whereas dogs are a little more obedient. No, they can. They just get trained to recognize the scent. Yeah, and, and, and they'll, <laughs> they'll point. They might dig it up. They'll point it out to you, but they don't go as they don't get as randy as the pigs do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the um, the non the pizza mushroom is a lot more difficult to grow. Why are those ones so common? Um, there's. So there's a few different reasons why those ones are common. And partially it's the aesthetic because they're just like a pure white uh, mushroom. And so for people who are um, afraid of mushrooms, which is the British tradition, and so that's how North America got so um, mycophobic. Oh, because they're they're afraid of the poisonous mushrooms. They're afraid of the poisonous mushrooms. Um, And um, the British traditionally haven't been super into mushrooms, whereas continental Europe uh, was really into mushrooms. And so, you know, with their cultures being sort of like trying to differentiate themselves from each other. Um, That tradition just didn't get passed on. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of people who've, who've moved to North America who um, collected mushrooms in uh, continental Europe, Eastern Europe. Uh, And so they're usually more into picking mushrooms in North America. And so the danger in that lies in um, species that are not poisonous in Europe being poisonous. Uh, in North America, mm. or species that, that are not poisonous uh, in Asia looking like things that we have in North America. So mm-hmm. there's an example of that in, in Vancouver right now because uh, we have a mushroom called the death cap, Amanita phylloides, which is that moving doesn't into... doesn't sound edible. It no, doesn't <laughs> sound edible. <laughs> Sounds exciting. <laughs> it's, very, it's very inedible. Um, it uh, produces uh, a toxin called alpha aminitin, which is an RNA polymerase inhibitor. And What does so, that mean? So we need RNA polymerase for cellular signaling to make proteins. Mm-hmm. And um, this molecule, which is a, a really, really small little um, little protein, uh, RNA polymerase is kind of like a Pac-Man-shaped enzyme that, that okay. um, by, by its shape, is able to um, Just to l- latches onto something not like shaped like Pac-Man's mouth? Yeah, yeah it does. Okay. Uh, and it... it um, produces RNA, mm-hmm. um, which is a signal inside the cell. And what the amanitin does is it just kind of snuggles up inside the active site of the enzyme, and then the enzyme can't bind. And so all protein production in the cell shuts oh, down. And what do you use protein production? What do we use protein production everything. for? So it basically shuts down every, everything yeah. in the body. Yeah, so the first thing that happens uh, is that uh, organs that rely... that um, need a lot of protein production in order to work, like the liver and mm-hmm. the kidneys uh, shut down. But um, if you get uh, amanita poisoning, um, at first you might not have any effects. There might be other things in the mushroom that might make you a little bit sick, but um, the toxin actually doesn't have any noticeable effect for a long time. Then many hours later, uh, then you start to feel some symptoms. But 
it would have been a long time since you ate the mushroom, so you wouldn't necessarily know. So it might be like a day or two days later? Or? Yeah. Okay. Um, it varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's several hours at least. Uh, and then um, you, your organs shut down. That doesn't, yeah, that sounds really Which is bad. really bad for humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need those. <laughs> you need those. And then you hope you are surrounded by friends. Yeah, um, because uh, if you catch it early enough, if you catch it early in the organ failure, um, you can actually go on dialysis and then try to get, um, try to get a, uh, if you need a kidney transplant, you can try to get a kidney transplant. Um, so you, the, the cure to it is to replace the, di- the organs. Right, you can't repair them. Okay. Yeah, like once the tissue is completely broken down, um, they, they're non-functional And anymore. that's something that happens after just a few, could happen just after just a few hours, or? Um, I think it takes probably more like 24 hours okay. for the, to get that severe. That's still yeah. very But you can imagine if you bad. were in the wilderness, like if you were on a camping trip mm-hmm. and you ate one of these mushrooms and you weren't close to a hospital, um, then you could be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And people do go into the backcountry and eat wild mushrooms in B.C., mm-hmm. um, this summer, a friend of mine, um, you know, Matt, was up at Garibaldi mm-hmm. Lake, and there were some uh, some Czech campers who were there, and they um, they were eating some bull eats, and they were very happy to. Um, they are uh, they're fairly large, fleshy mushrooms okay. um, with uh, tubes instead of gills on the bottom of the cap, okay. um, and they were very happy to spread the um, this piece of knowledge that they had that you can eat any mushroom that doesn't have gills. Any mushroom that doesn't have gills is not poisonous. And, and so they were telling people this. This is not true. And that's true. not true at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's sort of truth adjacent uh, because there are not that many mushrooms that don't have gills. Um, but there's definitely some, like off the top of my head, I can think of uh, Boletus satanus, the Satan's bull eat, doesn't have gills. <laughs> Very poisonous. That's pretty poisonous. Yeah, some great um, names. Gyromitra asculanta, which is the false morel, okay. um, oh. is poisonous, doesn't have gills. Um, you can make it not poisonous by cooking it. Yeah, I've heard um, that but some then the pe- cook gets sick. I've heard that some people volatile. have hmm. more s- strong reactions to false morels than others, too, where so like some people can eat it and not have allergic or not have the poison reaction to it. Yeah. And some people will die like within a day or two? There are a lot of mushroom toxins that are idiosyncratic like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and some people will have a reaction, other people won't have a reaction. So it's really important if you're collecting and eating wild mushrooms to, if you find a new mushroom or even one that you think you know what it is, you should only eat a small amount of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are even cases of people being poisoned by um, mushrooms that are uh, choice edibles. Um, there's one called uh, Trichloma equester, which is, um, it's called the man on horseback. It's a really common yellow, big mushroom, um, but people have been poisoned, uh, poisoned by eating that one. But that, something that most people who, who eat it would just be... Right, or people who eat a little bit of it. Right. Um, there's another one in Japan. Um, it's called Angel's Wings. It's, it's uh, consumed uh, quite, a, quite a bit. But there was one year where uh, it rained a lot in the autumn, and so this mushroom grew much larger than it usually did. Mm-hmm. And so people were um, eating a lot more of this mushroom than they normally would. Right. And so people were getting um, getting quite sick from that one. I think th- it was just because some certain toxins that are normally present in small amounts in the bloodstream or in the body would build up when they eat a whole bunch of it at once. Right. right. Yeah. So there would be a critical amount where... Um, your body isn't able to process it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, the Japan example, those people did have a history of renal failure, and um, so they showed up to the hospital with um, 
they ended up having a lot of uh, cerebral hemorrhaging. Mm -hmm. um, but every single person who got this type of poisoning, out of all the people that were probably eating these mushrooms, um, which is widely consumed, um, had had a history of renal failure. So we don't really know um, everything that we need to know to be able to consume um, large amounts mushroom. of wild mushrooms yeah. safely. Oh, okay, so it's a it's an adventure. Do you, you I guess you don't eat uh, very many wild mushrooms um, yourself I eat, then? I eat some wild mushrooms, but I'm always cautious. So I would always um, start with a little bit. Um, if you don't get sick from that little bit, mm -hmm. um, then you can consume more, but you should never eat like a huge plate of some mushroom that you found that you're pretty sure you know what it is. Right. How, like, how soon would you know if you're sick? Like you eat a little bite and then wait 10 minutes, an um, hour? Two hours? A day? Ideally, you'd wait a day. Okay, so you'd wait yeah. a day, and then you'd go back to your campsite and say, mm, mm -hmm. I'll get some more. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the ones, the mushrooms that produce uh, the amatoxin that I was talking about before, which is mm -hmm. the most serious uh, mushroom toxin, um, those ones you'd be unlikely to confuse uh, with an edible mushroom unless it was of a certain kind, uh, and you would probably, you'd probably know that it was close to these amanitas. So it would be unlikely that you'd accidentally give yourself amanita poisoning mm -hmm. and then think that you were okay enough to have another meal of those same amanitas and then get really, really sick. Um, it's probably more ones that are on the borderline. Um, the edibility of mushrooms really varies between, um, at the top you'd have like choice edibles, like the ones that we have in the supermarket, through to edible ones where um, you can eat them, but there's really not enough value in them. They don't taste good enough to, uh, they, they to go out collecting them. They don't have much nutritional value. Right. And yeah. so if you're going to go to the trouble of going out into the forest, finding a patch of mushrooms, bringing them home, taking a spore print, which you have to do in order to identify, identify a mushroom, which is basically like you just take the cap of the mushroom off and um, put it on a microscope slide or a piece of paper or anything, mm -hmm. um, and then put, it, put a glass over it so that it has high humidity and drops its spores, um, leave that for a few hours, and then you look at the color of the mushroom print. Mm -hmm. um, that's usually one of the first characteristics for identifying a mushroom. So if you look at the dichotomous keys that we use in order to identify mushrooms, um, that's often right at the top. So you need to do that in order to identify a mushroom. Mm -hmm. So if you find one little brown mushroom in the forest, and it could be one of many thousands of different kinds of little brown mushrooms, you're probably not going to bother, even though it could be edible. Mm -hmm. um, then you would have ones that are inedible, so they're not really poisonous. They're not going to do anything terribly toxic to your body, but um, they might be really, really bitter, or um, they might be like really slimy and gross. So no one would eat those. It might be like the equivalent of just like eating a tree that's like, not poisonous, but yeah, wouldn't you? You wouldn't eat a tree. You just wouldn't bother. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, then there there are ones that cause digestive upset. Mm -hmm. um, so those ones actually have a negative effect on our bodies, but that might vary from person to person. Um, and food poisoning is also a big thing uh, with mushrooms. So just eating mushrooms that have been contaminated with bacteria. And this is a big thing with magic mushrooms, especially. Mm -hmm. um, so in, according to the US data, um, one half of all people who are admitted to the hospital for mushroom poisoning, uh, those are because of magic mushrooms, because they've eaten magic mushrooms. Um, and half of those are people who are just freaking out because they um, they don't want to have the mushroom trip anymore. Right. Um, the other half of them, so a quarter of all mushroom poisonings in the U.S. are from people who have got food poisoning from eating these magic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. like, you can see that, um, probably imagine that magic mushrooms are not highly regulated mm -hmm. uh, by the FDA. So yeah. there's no quality control on <laughs> how much bacterial contamination there is on them. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot of that. So if you find a mushroom in the wild, 
um, that could be that could be part of it too. It could just be contaminated with something. And so if you eat a little bit of it and you get sick, then you shouldn't eat the rest of it. Um, right. And then so the next category would be um, ones that are actually poisonous. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's usually divided along two lines. Um, if you look in a mushroom guide, usually hallucinogenic mushrooms are are in with poisonous mushrooms. Right. Um, some hallucinogenic mushrooms, depending on which uh, hallucinogen they produce, um, will have effects on your body. Um, psilocybes don't really have this, but um, ones like the fly agaric, uh, they produce uh, ibotemic acid and uh, muscimol, which are the two hallucinogens. Mm-hmm. But um, whereas uh, psilocybes produce psilocin, which only attaches to a particular serotonin receptor right. um, and doesn't have that much of an effect on your body, the fly agaric ones, um, they attach to a GABA receptor uh, that is more widespread, so they actually do have more physiological effects like profuse sweating and nausea and things like that. That doesn't sound very fun. Mm-hmm. Well, it must be worth it because a lot of people eat them for, yeah. the, for the, halluc- <laughs> the hallucinations. But um, And then the, the last category would be the ones that are really, really poisonous, so like the amanitas that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. They actually have lethal effects. Is there a, any correlation between taste and how edible they are? Like, is a poisonous mushroom going to taste really bad? Or are they going to taste amazing to lure you in? I don't think um, the poisonous mushrooms want to be eaten. Like a survival <laughs> That's the point, mechanism. Yeah. Um, that hasn't been tested extensively. Okay. Because um, no one's really willing to eat a, a huge amount of things <laughs> <laughs> that taste good. Really but they are, really um, they are closely related to ones that taste really good. So, for example, um, Amanita caesarea, the Caesar's mushroom, is a choice edible. And it's this huge, charismatic mushroom. Um, and it, what does it tastes look like? really good. Uh, it looks like um, a big classic Amanita mushroom. What it's color? Big, like uh, white. It's white. It's white. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's got like a like a dish shape on the top. Or? Um, yeah. When it's immature, it would have um, like a, a a round cap. Uh, as it gets older, the cap would become planed. Okay. Uh, and then it's got gills underneath uh, and and a stalk. And around the stalk, it's got a, a veil, which kind of looks like a skirt. Okay. And that's characteristic for the the, um, the Amanita okay. uh, group. Yeah, so yeah, it um, does sound... So good. poisonous mushrooms, there are lots of poisonous mushrooms that are very closely related to mushrooms that we consider to be um, choice edibles. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say choice so, edibles, do you mean that, like, there's something we would choose to eat, or they're, like, delicacies that are, like... Uh, both, like, okay. ones, any, any one that tastes really good. Okay. So things that people deliberately go in, out into the forest to find because they know that it's going to taste good. Right. And yeah. put in their fancy restaurant. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned once when I was talking to you about the Poison Control Center and how they would call you randomly about people who had eaten the wrong mushroom. Am I um, recalling that correctly? So they don't no, They don't call me, and okay. I, um, I don't know enough to be of yeah. any help. Um, but they do call uh, Tom Volk at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, he, he definitely gets calls about uh, mushrooms, and he's, he's very knowledgeable about mushrooms and mushroom poisoning. And um, so he will get calls, and uh, they'll ask him to identify what mushroom people uh, have eaten. Um, and I imagine that's common for uh, professional mycologists who deal with mushrooms. So mm-hmm. at UBC, uh, Mary Burby studies mushrooms, so I'm sure she gets those types of calls. I'm not sure what you have to do to get on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, but but once, once you're on it, you probably don't get off of it. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know if treatment for mushroom poisoning varies considerably depending on what, what you ingest? I um, assume so. It would 
It would depend on which uh, which type of mushroom you ate. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that much about the treatments aside from the um, amanitans um, because they cause organ failure, and then so you have to get uh, try to get an organ transplant in order to to be cured from it. Um, so moral is keep a little bit on you in case you have to go to the hospital. You should do that. Yeah, that would help. Um, I would say try to keep a lot of it on you in case you have to go to the hospital because if somebody's going to identify that mushroom, um, they need to be able to look at the whole mushroom mm. if you want it to be fast, which you probably do because mm-hmm. um, you would be poisoned. Um, otherwise, if you just have a tiny little bit, it would be um, like the actual flesh of a mushroom is not very distinctive between different mushroom groups. So right. they would actually have to do, they would have to extract the DNA and, uh, and sequence it and try to figure out what mushroom that was, that which they can like, do. That doesn't sound like a very fast process. So. No, you you could be dead by then. So mm-hmm. yeah, try to have like a, a character, like a, a good characteristic specimen that you can give them and say, I ate this death cap. Mm-hmm. What can you do for me? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I'm, I'm afraid that we're almost out of time right now. So we've... Uh, uh, we, we've got to start wrapping this up. Um, before we go, what's your favorite mushroom to eat? Uh, I would say either shiitakes or chanterelles mm-hmm. um, or morels if it is the springtime because they're one of the few wild mushrooms that grows in the spring. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most mushrooms grow in the fall. Do you have a favorite recipe? Uh, yes. My favorite mu- uh, mushroom recipe is probably uh, phyllo pastries with black bean shiitake filling. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's a good vehicle for uh, shiitake mushrooms and uh, black bean sauce. I have to talk to you about that. But mushrooms are usually, uh, wild mushrooms are usually eaten by themselves. Mm -hmm. So usually Mm -hmm. you just just saute them uh, in some sort of oil, or or a lot of people use butter, but that really covers up a lot of the mushroom flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, Or chanterelles, uh, you dry saute them, so you just saute them, but without any sort of oil. You just um, saute them on a a hot pan. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, don't, make sure you stay tuned for Stereoscopic Readout, which is coming up next uh, mm-hmm. with Darren and uh, Thunderbird Radio Hell after that with Ben Lai. Uh, I believe we have a, a song off of the East Van Special Blend, which is run by the uh, Commercial Drive Coffee Company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a compilation of East Van artists, and we're going to play... Uh, Sorry, we're going to play I'll Bury You by Kelly Hagen and Darius Green. One second. I know where I'll bury your bones. I know where I'll bury your Just where I'll dig and lay down those sweet fingers. I know where I'll bury your head under that same old tree where you first carved that arrow right through me. I know where I'll bury your head. I know. Where I'll bury your legs I know just where I'll dig To lay down those sweet lips Right below where we first kissed Under that same old tree Where you first called
ready for the start of the biggest, bluest celebration yet. From January 20th to January 24th, you can come out to Science Week 2014, a five-day celebration of the best faculty at UBC. Come out to our awesome events, buy the latest science swag, represent your department in the science-wide games, and share your science pride all week long. Bring your friends, make some new ones, and bleed blue with the science student community. You won't want to miss out. And I put it in a pot of boiling water, and guess what I'm calling it? Soup? Hot ham water. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver, Nourishing Radio. Mm. So watery, and yet there's a smack of ham to it. <laughs> <laughs> 